Melissa asked that I would let you guys know there is a women's ministry Friday night fellowship on January 20th. It's at Aaron Britton's home, and there's little sheets out here if you're interested and you need a, um, an address or a reminder slip. So just so you guys know, have that in mind. That's coming up. That's a week and a half away. And um, we are glad to be back starting the second half of Wellspring for this year. Um, I'm going to go ahead and introduce our speaker, and then we're going to do our disciplines review. So first, let me tell you a little bit about our speaker, our teacher today. This is Jenna Kelso. She's with us. Um, she is an original member of Grace Bible Church. She is married to Matt Kelso, who's one of our pastor elders. They have three children. Jonathan, who is the first baby, right, born in Grace, or maybe one of the first, if not the first. Um, he was one of the first babies in our church. Um, Noah and Eden are their other two children. They're both in high school. Well, high school age, right? <laughs> okay. Um, she is currently in school herself, and she is on her way to becoming a registered nurse, right? You're like this far away. Oh, I thought you were closer than that. Okay, sorry. <laughs> She's really close. <laughs> okay, you're, you're getting there. And some things that you need to know about Jenna is that she has a wonderful sense of humor. Um, those of you that don't know her, those of you that do know her already knew that. She's very fun to be around, and she is also very wise by God's grace. So we're just really thankful to have her here today. She's going to be teaching us on a topic that we're all probably going to be able to put into practice or use uh, soon, if not today, because she's teaching us on conflict resolution and peacemaking. So we know that is just kind of the life that we live. We're always dealing with conflict just because we are in a fallen world and we are sinners. So anyway, it's going to be a good lesson. So let's go ahead and review and then we'll have Jenna come up. So um, I have three verses, one for each discipline that if you want to just jot it down, if you happen to go back through your notes in the next couple of weeks and you think about the disciplines, you'll have one verse for each discipline. So I'll give you those verses first, and then we'll talk about them. So for discipline one, I picked out 2 Peter 1, 19. And feel free to turn there once we start talking about them. Um, for the discipline two, I have 1 Corinthians 10, 31. And for discipline three, Romans 1, 16. So go ahead and take out your notebooks, flip them over. We'll just go through the purpose first. The purpose of Wellspring is to equip and encourage the women of Grace Bible Church to shepherd their hearts toward Jesus Christ with the word of God so that they live gospel-transformed lives, thus strengthening the church in its gospel purpose. So that is our prayer that today all of us will be equipped and encouraged um, to walk in a way that honors the Lord. Discipline one, first of all, the heart. It says the faithful woman of God shepherds her heart worshipfully toward God through the word of God, and in particular, the gospel. Okay, so like I said, I wanted to spend a little bit of time speaking about 2 Peter 1, 19. If you have time or can flip there really quickly, um, you might want to read it or you can just listen. The verse says, we have the prophetic word made more sure, to which you do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. Have you ever been in a room that's completely dark, 
if there's just a flicker of light, even just the light from a watch, um, like this type of watch, or um, like maybe a cell phone, it's often enough to help you make it safely to where you're trying to go. Um, you can make good choices with your steps if you have just a little bit of light. I have often made it safely to my own bed um, at night when it's dark just by um, touching the face of my cell phone and, and getting there. So Peter is telling all of us who read the letter of 2 Peter that God's word, the prophetic word is what he calls it, in other words, all of scripture, is something that we will do well to pay attention to with the same attentiveness as we would pay attention to a light shining in a dark room. Just like we need that light to see how to walk, how to step safely, we need God's light to know how to walk and step safely in this world. It's easier to pay attention to light if you're aware of the darkness and your need for light. I know that all too often I don't notice or feel how dark is the environment in which I live. We can be like fish who don't realize that they're wet because they live in water. Listen to how God's word describes this present world in which we live. So I just have a couple of references, and I'll just tell you what God's word says about this. He says, um, this is Colossians 1.13, Paul is writing. He says that everyone that has not been transferred to the kingdom of Jesus in a spiritual sense currently is still in the domain of darkness. Love for this present world can cause us to desert fellow believers like Demas did Paul. In 2 Timothy 4.10, um, Paul says that Demas having loved this present world, deserted him. So when we love this present world, we're going to forsake the people around us that love the Lord. Paul describes this place as the present evil age in which we need to be rescued from. That's in Galatians 1.5. I heard a message on that once, and the pastor, before he started talking about the passage, said, do you really feel and believe that you live in a present evil age? This present world is characterized by worry. It's characterized as being deceived by wealth. That's Matthew 12, 22. The present world in which we live is actually, in reality, passing away. It doesn't, it's not going to last forever. And so are the lusts that are so much a part of it. Those are all passing away. That's 1 John 2, 17. This present world has a God over it who blinds the minds of the unbelieving so that they won't see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. That's 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. So when we realize how dark the world around us truly is, we're going to recognize how seriously we need to pay attention to the light of God's word. When we recognize how prone our own hearts are towards sin and towards idols, we will feel the importance of paying diligent attention to the light of God's word. This is all part of what it means to shepherd our hearts. And then if you look in our verse, um, how long does Peter say that we should pay undistracted attention to God's word? He says, until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. We need to pay careful attention to God's word until we see Jesus face to face. And earlier in the letter, Peter said that grace and peace would be multiplied to us when we have the knowledge of God and Jesus, our Lord. Who of us wants to be able to walk safely and wisely in this world? Who of us wants to have grace and peace multiplied to us? If those are the things we want, we are going to receive them when we pay attention to God's words as if they're essential for our safety and well-being. 
and if we seek to know God and his son Jesus through his word. So just be encouraged that the moments that you personally are spend, spending being in God's word are essential for the health and safety and well-being of your soul. The words that you're reading are precious and they're truly God speaking to you. Let's move on to discipline two. You can turn to 1 Corinthians 10.31 if you want. Discipline two is about the home. The faithful woman of God is concerned for those in her home and ministers to them with her heart fixed on God and his word. This discipline is so very flexible. Think about all the home environments that you have lived in. First, you were a daughter, maybe you're a sister as well in your parents' home. Um, as a young woman, maybe you have experienced being a roommate with another woman or with many, or maybe you lived with another family or a couple. Maybe you have experienced being a wife and living with a husband. Many of you have had home environments that include a husband and a child or a few children. Maybe you've even had another family or a couple share your home with you for a time. Some of us have experienced homes becoming less populated by children leaving for college. Some have experienced all of their children leaving for work or marriage, and now they're back to a home that includes only a husband, or maybe it's just you, yourself. Then, aside from the actual demographics of what a household could be, um, there's all these different situations where whether or not maybe a husband or a child or a roommate is a believer or not a believer, whether you're dealing with someone that's sick or you're caring for people physically, and then there's times where you don't have to care for everyone in your home with physical help. But the task of caring for our homes and for the people who share them or come into them applies to every single circumstance or situation that we could experience or even think of. It can be all too easy to look forward to something more happening in regard to our home situation. It can also be a temptation to sadly look back and miss what was in our home situation or to look horizontally at others' home situations and be discontent with where our home situation is or our status. We can misuse our time and our energy by being discontent with that current situation or status. So I just want to encourage all of us to wholeheartedly embrace what God's given each of you, each of us to do in the care of our homes and most importantly in our care for the people who live in them or who come into them currently. Be concerned for each person in your home and seek to serve and love and help them for their eternal good. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says that whatever we do, whether it's eating or drinking or anything else that humans do, do it all for the glory of God. So instead of longing for the days, this is a personal example, instead of longing for the days of having little ones that I could make happy by promising a movie and a fun snack, I can joyfully embrace now spending time talking about how to be a godly friend um, with a middle schooler when maybe I think I need to be doing something else. Um, so looking back, looking forward, looking sideways at other people is not going to help us be fruitful in our own homes in the season that we're in. We can trust God in each season and be his instrument in each season of our home life. Each season of home life is a unique opportunity to glorify God in whatever task is required. And then we can move on to Romans 1, 16 for discipline three. This is ministry. 
With a heart fixed on God and keeping her God-given ministry within her home a priority, the faithful woman of God steps into the church in every part of life to shepherd others toward God and the gospel. I wanted to just take a little bit of time to think about the phrase in this discipline, every part of life. We've talked about how we have a responsibility to care for one another in the body of Christ um, in a lot of different ways. But let's think about the people that we come across um, in every part of life, in that little section there. Those people are often not believers. They have chosen to live apart from God. Um, Maybe they've just chosen not to submit to God or not to believe in him. They may have not even have ever heard the gospel of the good news of Jesus' death in the place for sinners. We do know, as we just read from 2 Corinthians um, 4, that the God of this world has blinded the minds of those who do not believe so that they won't see the glory of God in Jesus. However, we know from Romans 1.16, God gives life and belief through the proclamation of his gospel. Romans 1.16 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. God's power to save resides in the gospel. We have the privilege of telling this good news to people. It's God's privilege and his right to cause growth and to cause life to come from the gospel to whomever he wills. So I want to encourage all of us, myself definitely included, to be bold and to be confident with God's word and with the gospel as we interact with unbelievers. I was reading recently in Matthew 10, um, and this was so encouraging. It's Jesus, before he went to the cross, he sent his 12 disciples out to do ministry in various towns alone. He wasn't going with them. And in Matthew 10, he's teaching them, instructing them about what they can expect and what they need to do. And he just said, um, you may not be listened to. You may be maligned when you go out and you teach the gospel because he himself had been maligned. Um, However, they were not to be fearful because he said, you guys fear the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. They also didn't need to fear because their father in heaven knew and cared about the sparrows, which are basically valueless to humans. Um, He cares about them falling to the ground. Jesus also told his disciples that he had numbered every, that God in heaven, their father, had numbered every single hair on their heads so they don't need to fear. And then he said, therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my father who's in heaven. That's Matthew 10, 32. So Jesus encouraged his disciples to be bold, to be fearless of other people and to fear God alone as they spoke the gospel. So my prayer for myself and for you all um, is just that we would be bold this year for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of those who hear and would believe that God would be pleased to save through our proclamation of the gospel. So I wanted to just pray for us as we start a new year and as we start our second half of Wellspring um, along those lines. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for a new year. Thank you so much for being faithful to us all the time, whether or not we are faithful to you. Um, God, we just ask that we would walk in a manner worthy of our calling, that we would not be fearful of people or of um, consequences of obedience, um, but that we would joyfully follow you, that we would proclaim your truth, we would live it out, 
um, that we would care well for our own hearts, that we would look to your word as a light in a dark place um, that gives us wisdom, that guides our path, that helps us see what we need to see. Um, I pray, God, that we would be faithful in our homes with whatever season of home life we are currently in, that we would just embrace it wholeheartedly and be your servant, be your instrument um, to care well for the people that we get to interact with in our homes. And God, we just pray for boldness as we interact with other people that do not know you. And God, we just ask that you would be pleased to save others through our proclamation of the good news. And I pray, God, for this morning, as Jenna comes, that our hearts would be soft, that we would learn much that we need to about conflict resolution, um, learn much about our own hearts and about what you expect of us and what you graciously give us the strength to do in hard circumstances. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jenna, come on up. having me. It's so good to see who's in Wellspring, who's in Wednesday Wellspring this year. So good to see familiar faces and new faces that I haven't interacted with in Wellspring (laughs) up to this point. No matter what, thank you for having me. Um, Let's go ahead and pray and then we'll get started talking on the topic of peacemaking. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time. We thank you for a new year. God, we know that your mercies are new every morning, but the whole world stops and pauses and looks around and recognizes a fresh start. And I just thank you that we can we can do that as well. God, we can look, we can evaluate, we can um, seek opportunities to speak to others when there's heartache or <laughs> changes in the new year. God, we just pray that we'd seek those opportunities as well. God, for today's lesson, I pray that your word would be spoken, your word would be best conveyed and remembered by these women here. God, I pray as we study peacemaking that you would give us a heart, not of confrontation, not of sin-seeking, but of caring for our own hearts first, and caring for the hearts of those around us next and well. God, we need your help in all of this. We need your help every time we hear your word, every time we approach your word. And we need your help um, to deal with hard things, God, from sins that people commit that are very, very difficult, very, very ugly, sins that we commit that are shocking and embarrassing and um, just walking towards reconciliation in all areas, God. These are not easy topics. Pray that we will walk them together and care for one another throughout all this. And we pray all these things in your name. Amen. Again, thank you for having me here. Um, As I began to study again, look through my lesson on peacemaking, I asked myself, and I'm asking you now, why? Why are we teaching peacemaking in Wellspring? Looking at your your schedule this year, you women have been blessed to learn about topics such as the gospel, biblical womanhood, honoring God with your reading, building our homes with God's word, And here we are, back on a cold, first day back on a cold winter morning, and they're hitting you with peacemaking. Ouch. (laughs) That 
part of that's my fault, <laughs> my choice on my choice on timing. But yeah, there's a little bit of a <laughs> little bit of a shock that goes with that. Hopefully, you won't feel that way by the end of the lesson. But um, as far as it being a wellspring lesson, peacemaking is a topic that's been on a fairly regular rotation since wellspring began in 2010. It's been taught several times by Anne Angstead, and I'm gleaning a lot of wisdom from her lessons through the years. I know Omri's taught it a couple of times as well, and I was blessed to be able to teach it back in 2016. As someone who has lived every aspect of this lesson, both as the guilty, approached sinner and as the one who is humbling attempt, humbling, humbly attempting to care for a fellow sinner, I'm thankful, and we should all be thankful, that GBC is a peacekeeping church. And I'm thankful that our leadership strives to keep this topic in front of us. Peacemaking, though it may not be a, an easy or a warm, fuzzy type topic to talk about, is a necessary one for a number of reasons. Let's think the first reason we think about what we know about our hearts. A lot of these are wellspring review, <laughs> biblical principles. Our hearts are sinful, aren't they? And we have sinful tendencies both before and after salvation. We'll go into that a little, in a little more depth later. Another reason why we need to keep peacemaking at the forefront of our minds and hearts is because conflict is everywhere. You are not the only sinner in your life. Although that would make things a little bit easier, wouldn't it? <laughs> Let everyone else tell you what to do. Um, nope, we're all sinners. With those sinful tendencies, those sinful hearts before and after salvation, and we are all living life together, bumping our sinful natures and our deep-rooted desires up against one another. Therefore, knowing what we know about human hearts and living life amongst one another, we shouldn't be surprised that conflict is a part of life here on Earth. Another reason to study peacemaking. Another reason is that we are commanded to keep peace. Romans 12.18 states, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So whether you're the guilty party or the quote-unquote innocent party, because we know we're not, we are far from innocent, um, we are called to pursue peace with one another. The last reason that I'm going to list, and likely the most important example, is because we have the perfect example of peacemaking, and that's Christ himself. In his true innocence and in our utter guilt, he stepped outside of his comfort zone <laughs> and his rights, as Philippians 2 says, to bring us into a right and reconciled relationship with God. So, now that we hopefully better understand the why of teaching and understanding peacemaking in Wellspring and throughout our lives as Christians, let's begin to look at the how we will go about learning this. And before we even start there, I wanted to mention some of the challenges of teaching peacemaking that I approached as I walked through this lesson. First and foremost, a big challenge is that there are so many good resources out there already. Um, peacemaking by Ken Sandy is one of the many books about peacemaking. That's kind of the gold standard, but there are many more at the book table. I have to wonder what I can add. <laughs> you know, as I mentioned, our church leadership finds this very important, and from small groups, counsel, even helping people with mediation, 
GBC strives to be a peacemaking church. Again, something we can be thankful for. I, I was in Sunday school this week and I even realized Smed Blossom was on Matthew 18 this week. I'm like, wow, that is a lot of Matthew 18. Well, here we go. <laughs> here comes some more. Um, so again, that's one small challenge of teaching peacemaking, kind of evaluating what, what else I can bring to the table. But I would say the biggest challenge is the uniqueness of every peacemaking situation. There are so many sinners, so many sins, and so many responses to sin. You can see that it would be impossible to address every situation in one lesson. You might be thinking even now or throughout the lesson, what about this? What about that? Surely she didn't think about this. I hear you. <laughs> I hear you. But the solution to these challenges, for me at least, was remembering that this is a wellspring lesson on peacemaking. So instead, we're going to focus less on the variables, the infinite, unpredictable situations, and we're going to focus on the constant, our hearts. Peacemaking, certainly a biblical principle, but it is ad addressed in a relatively small number of verses throughout the Bible. However, our hearts, as I'm sure you're gathering, <laughs> which is agreeing with God on the state of our sin, rec recognizing and repenting of continued sin in the life of the believer, again, with our hearts, as that, those concepts are mentioned all throughout Scripture. And these biblical principles can be applied to the idea of peacemaking. We begin by evaluating our own lives at the heart level, we aim for the same things in peacemaking as well. And for today's lesson, we're going to call that path, again, beginning with our hearts, working outward, and aiming for God's glory on display. We're going to call that the path of peacemaking. On your first page of notes there, I have the definition of the path of peacemaking written out, and I'm going to go ahead and read that right now. Peacemaking, like all aspects of the Christian life, begins with our hearts, aims for God's glory being displayed through saved and sanctified lives, growing and strengthening his church. If sin and conflict threaten to take us off that aim, we must purposefully walk the path of peacemaking, taking the steps of repentance, forgiveness, and reconciliation. So ladies, <laughs> here we go. We're going to walk that path together, and as mentioned before, we're going to begin with our hearts. Where do we go to find an accurate representation, an accurate description of our hearts? Not to the world. Not by all those adorable signs at Hobby Lobby. <laughs> no, of course not. To get an accurate view of our hearts, we go right to God's word. Again, as mentioned before, this is a lot of Wellspring review. What is the heart? It is not the organ pumping blood throughout our bodies. It's you. It's your very inward self. And it is the source of our motivation and desires. The heart level is where we are evaluated, both by God and as we evaluate ourselves in contrast to the word of God. We know that our hearts, oops, there was a pen. Our hearts before regeneration were evil. In Genesis 6, 5, it says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continuously. Again, that's Genesis 6, 5, and that's before the flood, as God was preparing Noah and his family 
for the flood. So that was before salvation, before God's judging of our hearts. But let's continue on. After regeneration, we know that we still have sinful tendencies. Think about the pamphlet that they usually give you and walk through in Wellspring, and I'm assuming they did it this year as well. The yellow man getting less and less yellow as time goes by. We still have sinful tendencies, don't we? Even after regeneration. In Genesis 8.21, a couple short chapters after the beginning of Noah's story, it says, When the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma of Noah's sacrifice, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. So God's great judgment by flood was as a result of seeing the true nature of man's heart. And yet, upon mankind receiving that punishment, what should have been a big was a big change for the earth. God knew that our hearts were still evil and they were certainly in need of a savior. And if we're talking about our hearts, we have to go to Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? There are no qualifiers here, even for the believer. Our hearts are prone to sin and they can't be trusted. But, but God, but praise God that he brought us out of this desperate condition. Hebrews 12, 20, 12.1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And because of God's grace, we can fight against sin in our mixed condition. We must continually fight against sin in this mixed condition. And if we are committed to actively fight against sin and our, sin, our heart's deceptive tendencies, God has promised to enable us to not just fight, but to grow in holiness. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Galatians 5.16 says, But I say, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So how do these reminders, this review of biblical principles that you've been learning in Wellspring, how do these ideas, these truths, apply to peacemaking? Everything we know about our hearts, from its utter sinfulness before salvation, and still tending towards sin even upon salvation, its deception and its unknowability, these truths are true for us, and they are true for every believer. And understanding, again, these truths about all hearts, it's easy to see how conflict can easily arise, even between believers. Therefore, we must be shepherding our hearts to God's word. Before conflict arises, during and throughout conflict. We must be shepherding our hearts to God's word to know God better, to know ourselves better, to know our hearts better, and to better care for the hearts around us. So, after all these reminders about our hearts, reminders that are easy to know, easy to learn, and easy to forget, 
let's look at where the, we are on the path of peacemaking. We started with our hearts, and now we must remember our aim, God's glory on display through saved and sanctified lives, growing and strengthening his church. And when that aim from the heart outward is threatened by sin and conflict, we must walk the path of peacemaking, taking the step, steps of repentance, forgiveness, and reconciliation. So let's look at these steps, that path, now. When sin and conflict are threatening to take us off the aim, we start with repentance. What is true repentance? Thomas Watson, in his book, The Doctrine of Repentance, a book I would definitely recommend, it's one of those little Puritan paperbacks, um, defines repentance as agreeing with God about your own sin. We find out truths about ourselves and sin from God's word. As we seek God's word and shepherd our own hearts, true repentance should be marked with sight for sin, sorrow for sin, and confession of sin. So let's start with sight for sin. We need to see our sin. We need the gospel every day of our lives as a Christian, not just upon the moment of salvation. By God's grace and his spirit, our first act as a Christian was seeing the true nature of our own self and sinfulness when someone was kind enough to shine light in our hearts with God's word. And this awareness, this desire to repent of our sins, like every aspect of the gospel, should carry with us throughout the rest of our life. Seeing our sins, seeing our true selves, is not something to be taken lightly. It is God's grace when we, like the prodigal son in Luke 15, come to ourselves and see ourselves as sinners. Upon sight of sin, we should feel sorrow for sin. Psalm 38:18 says, I confess my iniquity, and I am sorry for my sin. Ladies, do you feel sorrow? upon the sight or realization of your sin. Remember, it is for this sin, this very sin, even forgiven sins, that Jesus had to die. It's because of sinful hearts like mine, that marriages are torn down, children are alienated, friendships abandoned, and churches destroyed. How can we not be sorrowful from our sin? And upon sight of sin, we must look it square in the face and tremble. Flippant attitude towards sin is much more frightening than taking the time to feel sin's true weight. And once we have sight of sin and address for God that sorrow for sin, it should lead us to confession of sin. True confession. What is true confession? Confession is an outward admitting of our inward sinfulness. Thomas Watson, as I mentioned earlier, calls it self-accusing. In Ken Sandy's book, Peacemaking, as I mentioned, kind of the gold standard, for, gold standard for a lot of this stuff, he lists what he calls the seven A's of confession. And I wrote, go ahead and, went ahead and wrote that down in your notes for you guys, since I know things will <laughs> move pretty fast. Um, the seven A's of confession are a tool to help us evaluate our confession. And remember, something we should always be remembering, pretty much any time you see a list, <laughs> no tool can make up for shoddy craftsmanship, can it, ladies? This is just a guideline. <laughs> and our confession must come from a heart desiring to confess sin accurately. So, 
with confession rooted in a sight and sorrow for sin, we can be look, begin to look at the seven A's of confession. The first A is to address everyone involved. This might be better explained as a reminder that your, your, I'm sorry, your confession should reach as far as the offense. We know that our sin is against God first and always, and it's against others often and next. <laughs> Heart sins can be brought before God, and your confession will be complete. However, we must always apologize to the person that we've sinned against. And if anyone else is affected by your sin, you must speak and likely apologize to them as well. So we think about addressing everyone involved, and next we think about avoiding ifs, buts, and maybes. Ladies, don't qualify your sin. You and only you committed this sin and are responsible for it. So phrases like, I'm sorry if I upset you. I'm sorry, but I asked like a hundred times. Um, I'm sorry, but maybe next time we can try. You're putting the guilt back on them. I know we're moving fast through this, but think about it. <laughs> that in no way is taking responsibility for your own sin. So avoid ifs, buts, and maybes. And then another thing to think about is to admit specifically. When we use God's language for sin, found in his word, we run away from excuses. And we run toward an actual solution, God's gift of reconciliation and forgiveness. So try not to say things like, I'm sorry, I was being really snippy back there. No. Say, I was being impatient and I spoke out in anger. That was wrong. You can see that we can support that with biblical, <laughs> biblical verses and therefore we have biblical solutions to this problem. And that is not, even that's not a complete apology, is it, ladies? Our fourth A is to acknowledge the hurt. Let them know that you understand that your actions have consequences and that those consequences are often hurt feelings of a loved one. You can say, I was being impatient. I spoke out of anger. That was wrong. And I can see that might have been scary or embarrassing for you, depending on who you're talking to. Our next A is to accept the consequences. From hurt feelings, very often, or changed relationship, or even up to restitution for damaged property, our actions have consequences, even beyond those hurt feelings. And we must accept those consequences. That might sound a little bit like, you know, after you apologize for <laughs> speaking out in anger, for example, you can say, I understand, as a consequence, that your trust in me might be shaken say, perhaps I should cancel my plans this afternoon so we can continue talking. You can say, I'll, be make, I'll make sure to apologize to anyone who might have overheard me as well. So if we accept our, the consequences, we can look at A, number six, altering your behavior. This probably won't happen right away, <laughs> but a life, change, life saved and changed should be a life marked by true repentance and confession, and a desire to look more and more like Christ. Ladies, pray for help in this. Look to God's word. Seek help 
seek counsel, and be thankful for this time of potential growth and change. And our final A, ask for forgiveness, allowing time for healing. It's kind of a two for one on that one, but um, before I even get to asking for forgiveness, I want to interject about the phrase, I'm sorry. While sorrow for sin and sorry clearly have the same root word, I think it's safe to say that the phrase, I'm sorry, has doesn't quite capture the heart of a, a sorrow for sin. It's become sort of a catch-all phrase in our society. We bump into someone with our cart, I'm sorry, and you commit heartbreaking sin against somebody, you say, I'm sorry. It's kind of become the beginning, middle, and end of confession. <laughs> Ladies, please don't fall into that trap. While expressing your sorrow for sin and saying, I'm sorry, is an important <laughs> not saying don't say it, it, but it is an expression of a feeling. Whereas asking for forgiveness, our seventh A, will you forgive me, lets the victim know that they can grant something that you can't give yourself, their forgiveness. I'll say it again. I'm sorry. Will you please forgive me? And always allow them time to think, heal, and forgive. So we've looked at repentance. And continuing along the path of peacemaking, we will speak on forgiveness. For forgiveness, we're going to look at the parable of the unforgiving servant. So if you could turn to Matthew 18, please. We will be in verses 21 through 35. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to seventy times seven. For this reason the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, one who owed him ten thousand talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment to be made. Therefore the slave fell to the ground and was prostrating himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. And feeling compassion, the Lord of that slave released him and forgave him of the debt. But... That slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him 100 denarii. And he seized him and began to choke him, saying, Pay back what you owe. So this fellow slave fell to the ground and was pleading with him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have also had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord, moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. 
my Heavenly Father will also do the same to you, even if each of you does not forgive his brother from the heart. Much of this story is shocking, and it should be. The debt the slave owed was shocking. The wording in this passage makes it clear that it was not just a lot of money. It was clearly an insurmountable debt. Today it would would translate to like a bajillion dollars, approximately. When the servant cried out, have patience with me, I'll pay you everything. The only response the king could have was, "You you can't. When the king realized his debt was unpayable, he, another shock, forgave him of the debt. Meanwhile, what happened? The debt owed the servant was real from another servant, but this debt was not immeasurable. And yet, another shock, the servant was unforgiving. When we look at the debt that was owed, that he owed, and what was owed to him by the other servant, he turned around, and after being forgiven in ways that couldn't be understood, he did not forgive a fellow servant of a much smaller debt. The king's forgiveness did not lead him to extend forgiveness. The king's mercy did not lead him to extend mercy. And that is truly shocking. Watching this unfold was shocking to his fellow servants as well. The fellow servants were greatly distressed. Forgiveness of a debt like this would have been big news. And yet they only saw him respond with unforgiveness. In the same way, if we see evidence of this in our own lives, we should be shocked as well. Jesus clearly connects the dots between people in the parable and believers today in verse 35. Christians are the most forgiven people. Our debt was truly unpayable. So I'm reading this. I'm going to go and spell it out for you guys. (laughs) Really spell it out for you guys. (laughs) We should be the most forgiving people as well. A lack of mercy and unforgiveness is not just a choice to hold a grudge or forgetting about Christ's forgiveness. It's evidence that we might not really understand what our debt was like and what we have been forgiven of and saved from. The king's shock and anger towards the servant of unforgiveness reflects God's anger toward unforgiveness. We can easily understand the importance of forgiving those who have sinned against us. But I'm the first to admit that living out the principles of forgiveness isn't always easy, especially in light of real hurt and pain. I have struggled in this area in many arenas of my life. Please don't think at this point in the lesson or at any point that I'm just flippantly commanding you to forgive. That's what you're supposed to do. It's so easy. (laughs) It can be hard. And if this is a particularly difficult subject for you, please know that you're not alone. If you're struggling in this area, please seek help from me, from the leaders, your small group leader, any women at GBC. I know there are many that would love to help you. And understanding that it is a struggle, how do we shepherd our hearts when fighting for forgiveness? One help, some helpful ways to approach forgiveness is to remember that forgiveness is a commandment, it is a decision, and it is ongoing. So let's start with Forgiveness is commanded. Ephesians 4.32 tells us, Be ye kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as in Christ God forgave you. Harkening back to our Matthew 18 passage as well. That's Ephesians 4.32. 
And Colossians 3, 13b says simply, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Forgiveness is not just commanded, but forgiveness is a decision. And it's a decision based in obedience to Christ. We say decision because it can't be based on feelings. We can't depend on our emotions to lead us through difficult times, can we? We might feel like rehashing old hurts. We might feel like withdrawing from social situations. But if we have set our hearts upon forgiveness, then we must shepherd our hearts and minds away from our emotions and toward God's word, shepherding, shepherding our minds in obedience. So as I said, forgiveness is commanded. Forgiveness is a decision. And third, forgiveness is ongoing. Now, when I say that forgiveness is ongoing, do I mean I can forgive a little now, forgive a little later? <laughs> no. Forgiveness should be from the heart once and for all. But thinking back on our wicked, deceitful hearts, we are fooling ourselves to think that, if, that we couldn't allow old feelings to creep back in. We must frequently remind ourselves that we have forgiven this person. This person is forgiven and that we are going to act forgiving towards this person. That's especially helpful when, when heading into difficult situations. That prayer in the car. <laughs> but even in the privacy of our own thoughts, we must remind ourselves to not dwell upon this incident. We must remind ourselves to not bring this incident up against the person who has sinned against you. We must remind ourselves to not talk gossip to others about this incident. That's what I mean when I say forgiveness is ongoing. So, we have talked about repentance, we've talked about forgiveness, now where are we along the path of peacemaking? Upon evaluating our heart, and if we realize that our aim of glorifying God is being put off by sin and conflict, we continue to walk and in this case, right now, we are at reconciliation. What is the purpose of understanding and implementing biblical confession? Why must we actively seek forgiveness towards those, even when it's difficult? The purpose of walking the path of peacemaking is to anticipate, yes, eagerly anticipate our next point, reconciliation. Christian, our entire life, our faith is built upon this foundation, the foundation of reconciliation. Christianity is not just a God-given sight for sin followed by confession. It's not just forgiveness granted by a holy God who sacrificed his own son to make forgiveness possible. As a side note, if God had drawn us into repentance and confession, if he had just forgiven us, that would be grace upon grace, wouldn't it? Much more than we deserve, more than really... Our human minds can understand if we're being honest. But is that all that Christ has imputed to us? No. Walking with Christ is to be in relationship with Christ. God has given us his very word. He's given us everything we need for life and godliness, as it says in 2 Peter 1.3. He has left us his spirit. He will never leave us 
or forsake us. He is our Father. We are his children. Believer, reconciliation is yet another aspect of God's salvation that we carry throughout our entire lives, never to be left behind on the day of salvation. And we can see how this applies to peacemaking. Reconciled relationships are beyond understanding for unbelievers, for most of the world. It can be hard for us to understand sometimes, too. Because sin is ugly. It's hurtful. And peacemaking as a process is complex. It can be very tricky. But God did not call us to simply check boxes, repent, forgive, move on. Again, let's look at Romans 12, 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. What's that little word in the middle there? <laughs> live. Interact. Live life alongside this person. Don't simply coexist. Again, this isn't easy. <laughs> it takes time. But what might it look like? It might look like starting a conversation at church when every fiber of your being wants to avoid pain or awkward. <laughs> it can look like acts of service toward the person with whom you're in conflict and after. It can certainly look like praying for that person. Again, it is beyond logic or human understanding to go from enemies to friends with another person. But Christian reconciliation with God through Christ is built on the foundation of enemies, son murderers, to beloved children. We can't understand it. <laughs> it's a difficult path to walk, but what a better example to the world. What better path toward the gospel than to be able to share this new, different, and somehow richer relationship that you now have? Didn't you guys used to like not get along <laughs> yeah <laughs> we must seek and embrace reconciliation so <laughs> there we go as <laughs> walked the path of peacemaking together again I know again if you see an outline or a list you can be quick to assume that it is an oversimplified version of how we are to go from heart towards glorifying God and, as I mentioned earlier, there are literally thousands of ways a peacemaking situation can play itself out. Um, there are many ways that sin can harm and hinder relationships. And likewise, there are many ways that walking the path of peacemaking can, by God's grace, bring us into a reconciled relationship with a brother or sister in Christ. Again, as I mentioned earlier in the lesson, you may be thinking, what about this? What about unbelievers? What about when I try and try and try and they're not interested? What about if what they did was really, really bad? <laughs> I hear you. There's nothing simple about this process. Please don't think that a simplification of these scenarios means that I think it's easy. But we simply can't go there in this lesson. <laughs> it's a continued process. And again, seek help that people would love to give. So, instead of evaluating a myriad of potential situations, we're going to focus on four very basic scenarios 
And from there, we're going to look at a bit of practical application to help you walk the path of peacemaking in a scenario like these. The four scenarios, when I read them, you'll go, oh yeah, <laughs> those are the four scenarios. Or when you are the offending sinner, you realize it and you go to seek forgiveness. The next scenario is when you are the offending sinner and somebody else needs to come and talk to you about it. The third scenario is when someone else is the offending sinner, they realize it and they come to you seeking forgiveness. And the last, the one we're going to focus on most this, this morning, is when someone else is the offending sinner and you may need to go talk to them. However, <laughs> as often happens with lessons like these, there's a little bit of heartburn and uh, in the interest of time, I made the difficult decision to fly <laughs> over the first three scenarios and really focus, as I said, on the fourth scenario. So in your homework this week, you'll have an opportunity to dig deeper into a Bible passage and how it applies to one of these situations. And you'll have a chance to think for yourself about what the path of peacemaking might look like in this specific situation. But for now, let's look quickly at the first three scenarios. And the first one, as I said before, is when you are the offending sinner, you realize it and you go to seek forgiveness. This section looks at Matthew 5, 23 through 24. It says, so if you are offering your gift at the altar, I'll give you a minute, sorry, Matthew 5, 23. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. The main takeaway from this, as I said, we're gonna look at it quickly, is that from the outside, the man might have looked like he had no peacemaking problems. He was ready to worship, ready to sacrifice, wearing his cute Sunday morning shoes. But when he evaluated his heart, he could see that his aim was off. You can't skip ahead on the path of peacemaking. Like all areas of the Christian life, we don't get to enjoy the benefits of reconciliation without first tending to repentance and forgiveness. And again, that's, this is the scenario that you'll look into a little more carefully this week in your homework. The next scenario that we'll quickly look at is when you are the offending sinner and they come and talk to you. These, are, these situations are not easy. <laughs> not for you, and it's not easy for them either. This is kind of a rubber meets the road moment, isn't it? We can sit in Wellspring, we can read God's word, we can say our hearts are deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, and yet when someone points out the sin that is spilled over into real life, what is, our, what is often our response? Me? <laughs> Ladies, Prepare your hearts to apply what you know about your hearts. Even now, before someone's talking to you, seize the opportunity to examine your heart, repent, and graciously listen in a scenario such as this. The third scenario is when someone else is the offending sinner, they realize it, and they come to you seeking forgiveness. This one's relatively easy. We forgive. We trust that they have walked the steps of, of peacemaking. 
And while that, yes, there may be room for clarification on your part, we seek to freely forgive. Those are the first three very basic very skeleton scenarios that we might come across as we seek to be a peacemaker. But the final one, where you need to tell someone that they've sinned, is the one we're going to spend a little bit more time on today. Matthew 18, 15. Back in Matthew 18, says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. So as we've been learning throughout this lesson, we're going to walk the path of peacemaking. And we're going to start with the heart. And whose heart are we going to start with? Your own. But they're the sinner and mm -hmm, we're going to start with our hearts. We're going to pray for that person. We're going to pray for the situation. We're going to acknowledge and confess your sin or contribution to the problem, if applicable. Sometimes we're observers of sin, but more often than not, our sin can add fuel to the fire of a troublesome situation. And this is the opportunity as you evaluate your own heart to confess to God first, and then to go and seek forgiveness and reconciliation. Please consider this, ladies, as a standalone event for now. It's not a manipulation to confess, uh, to coerce a confession out of them, or even dive right in now that we've got that out of the way, <laughs> to confronting their sin. Confess your sin and continue the conversation at another time. That would be likely the most appropriate. Next, before we, while we're still on the topic of the heart, along with tending your own heart, we're going to check your aim. Remember your aim, glorifying God through saved and sanctified lives. Check your motives. What are you most concerned about? Are you concerned with glorifying God, caring for their heart, caring for the church, or expressing hurt and desire? Check your motives. And then still on the topic of heart, back to the topic of heart, we tend to their heart next. Here are some questions we can be thinking about and asking ourselves as we strive to care for their heart when we observe sin in someone else's life. The first question is, can I overlook this sin? Proverbs 19.11 says, good sense makes one slow to anger. And it is his glory to overlook an offense. Yes, we should overlook sin often. I think we do this all the time without realizing it, and it is a good thing. We know that we need to let the little things go. Continuing on questions to care for their heart. If you maybe can't quite overlook this sin, then ask yourself, can I forgive this sin without a face-to-face -face conversation? We should seek to forgive sinners from our heart, always. An example of this might be an out-of-the-ordinary, unusual event, a harsh word from someone who <laughs> normally does not struggle with that sort of thing. You know, we can accept it for what it is, maybe keep an eye out for hardships in their life or repeating troublesome patterns, but before the Lord, from the heart, we can forgive that sinner. Another question to ask to care for the other person's heart is, is it appropriate for me to talk to them 
about their sin. Maybe it'd be easier to think about ways that it's not appropriate. For example, someone else's husband, or really likely any man at church, that would be something you could defer to your husband, small group leader, or another church leader if you see something that is concerning. Um, going to someone else's child before talking to the parents first would be another example where you could say, I would not be caring for <laughs> their, their hearts, and I need to a different way of going about that. Um, if you see a concerning issue, for the most part, you're going to want to keep it inside your immediate circle of family and friends when you're asking, is it appropriate for me to talk to them? Continuing on ways to care for their heart, you can consider the whens, the wheres, and the hows. Seek privacy, ladies. Meet at a time and place where it's convenient for them. Remember, you're seeking to serve them and care for them. You will likely be the one to drive. You might be getting up earlier or staying up later than you'd prefer. If it's convenient for them, approach all areas of this with humility. And as you care for their heart, continue to ask, after you've evaluated all these things, do I need to go talk to them? We overlook often, we forgive often, this is the most loving and caring thing for people's hearts. And it keeps us accountable to not go on blast <laughs> with every little sin. However, if you're seeing a concerning, repeating, unrepentant pattern of sin, or a sin that is beginning to damage your relationship, damage them or others, and you can't overlook this sin anymore, Ladies, you will likely need to go and talk to them. Remembering always your aim, your motives, seeking to glorify God, care for their heart, care for the church, checking prayerfully your aim every step of the way. And then you need to walk the path. You start with repentance. If you've tended to your own sin, then remember that their repentance is the goal. We want them to have a right relationship with God and a changed life as a result of heart change. You can seek to forgive them from the heart, even before they've expressed their sorrow, and even before you've expressed your forgiveness. It comes from the heart outward. And then we work towards reconciliation. Go and win your brother. Go and win your brother. We start with go. I know this isn't easy. <laughs> the go might be the hardest part. It's not fun. We may be tempted to think in certain ways that would hinder the going to win your brother. Things like, this is really none of my business. We might think, oh, this is going to be so embarrassing. This is going to be so awkward. You might think to yourself, I just, I just don't like conflict. <laughs> Let's look a little more carefully at some of those thoughts. When you say it's none of my business, ladies, I can assure you, it is your business. As you, you've checked yourself along the way. And more than that, it is your duty to care for one another's hearts as we help purify Christ's church. Remember, we walk the path of peacemaking, checking our hearts all along the way to strike down the idea of just butting in. We want to evaluate and care for one another's hearts. Just like thinking it's none of my business, again, you might be thinking this is so embarrassing and awkward. 
You're concerned about an embarrassing and awkward situation. Yeah, <laughs> I get it. Consider instead the precarious situation that they are in. We are called to rescue a sister in Christ from the dangers of the sin that they are walking in. And I agree, it is awkward and difficult. But it's not because of what you have to do. It's difficult because sin is sad and serious. Things that are important are rarely easy. You can think to yourself, oh, I just am not that type of person. I do not like conflict. Let's look very carefully at that attitude. Remember, obedience, help, love, not conflict is our goal. Have you checked your aim? And ladies, may I gently say, if you are unable to overlook this sin, if you can't forgive quickly from the heart, if you're concerned about the effects of sin, damaging relationship or witness, and you still won't talk to them, you might be displaying a love of conflict. Matthew 18 says, if we've addressed the go, now we're told to go and win your brother. I can't help but think of the parable of the lost sheep when I hear the phrase, go and win your brother. I'm going to read that for you right now. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountain and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than the 99 that never went astray. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that none of these little ones should perish. You'll notice that I didn't state a reference at the beginning of that verse. The reference is Matthew 18, 10 through 14. Right before Matthew 18, dealing with church restoration and church discipline. Those verses are 15 through 19. Seek the offending brother with your whole heart, just as Christ did, and consider a repentant sinner as part of your prize. And always be gracious to them. It was hard for you to go, and we need to understand that it's hard to hear, for them to hear about their own hearts. It always is. As I mentioned in the seven A's of confession, give them time to think, pray, and read about it as well. Follow up with them if the conversation is not complete, seeking to meet them at the time and place of their convenience. Ladies, thank you so much for having me here today and for the blessing and privilege it is to speak to you today about peacemaking and all that it entails. Repentance, forgiveness, caring for our own hearts, the hearts of others, under the banner of reconciliation. Ultimately, we seek in all areas of the Christian life and particularly in the area of peacemaking, to treat others the way that we want to be treated. Would you want to be left alone in your sin? Would you want to just drift away? I hope not. Can't do that with other people either. How should we want to be treated? How do we strive to act in a specific way? We examine our own heart with God's word diligently. Seek to see, be sorrowful for, and root out sin in your own heart. We'll call this preemptive peacemaking. Ladies, seek to surround yourself with other believers consistently and always. The lives of those around us are like little mirrors that kind of <laughs> shine back into our lives. We can see ourselves more clearly, aren't they? feels that way sometimes, and it should. Remember, as we line ourselves up alongside other godly women, that those little pricks and stings of pruning that we feel when we err, 
say the wrong things, do the wrong things around others, or even when we just recognize shortcomings in our own lives, those little stings are much more pleasant to endure than digging deep into an area of rooted sin. Third and last, we should prayerfully seek to be a peacemaker. Prepare your heart now to graciously ponder and agree when someone confronts you on your own sin. It's always on the table, isn't it? <laughs> and we should prepare our heart to overlook sin, forgive quickly, and when needed, care well for the hearts that need a bit of tending. Let's pray together, please. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you for this time that we can spend together. We thank you that a subject, sin, and conflict, hurt feelings, broken relationships, knowing your goodness and your holiness, God, infuriates a subject that <laughs> we might look at humans and not understand, and yet you have given us ideas about, you've taught us about our hearts, you've given us guidelines and instruction on how to deal with this very thing. God, again, I pray that it would be met to these ears and hearts in this room and on recordings. I pray that it would be met with an understanding of compassion and understanding about the difficult consequences of sin. God, I pray that we would still seek to honor you and obey you in all these areas. Thank you again for this time that we could be together. In your name we pray. Amen.